Today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash Betty, B-E-T-T-Y. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen pretty much anywhere, on your computer, your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, or any other MP3 player. Before I had Betty, I thought I knew what grief was. In truth, I had a very basic understanding of grief and thought it was something that people went through when someone close to them died. There were stages and phases, and as a griever, you would pass through these stages until you ultimately came through on the other side, moving on to acceptance. I knew all of this because ever since elementary school, there had been short units dealing with grief incorporated into my public education. As I grew up, I discovered that grief was much more complex. As a griever, you can reach acceptance and still dip back down into denial or anger or depression. I saw this in friends, I read about it in books, and as the relationships of adulthood came with their sophisticated entanglement, I became more familiar with the idea of grief. But what I didn't know until Betty was born was that grief can accompany any kind of loss, be it a physical loss of a loved one or the theoretical loss of the perfectly healthy child you anticipated throughout your pregnancy. I don't feel like I've grieved Betty's diagnosis in anything close to a textbook manner. So I've also learned just how individual and unpredictable grief can be. Today I'm talking with Jeannie, a mother of two girls, each with special needs. Jeannie is also a grief recovery coach who helps individuals navigate grief and find their own way to acceptance and healing. Jeannie shares her story of her personal journey as a mother and how she found her way into helping others who are in a dark place. So stay with us. In January of 2013, my baby girl Betty was born. Later we discovered she had a chromosomal deletion that would affect the rest of her life. I created this podcast to share the stories and struggles of special needs children and their families. This is episode 7 of Bringing Up Betty. I'm Sarah Evans. Before Jeannie was a mom, she worked as a guidance counselor and found herself in a unique position when several students at her school were navigating grief for the first time. I used to be a high school guidance counselor, and I actually got involved in specifically grief counseling when I was doing an internship at a high school. It was an unusual year. There were a lot of suicides and sudden deaths and just a lot of tragedy that happened during the time I was there. And I remember my on-site supervisor saying, this is really weird. I've never, I've been here for 20 years and this has never happened. And so because the full-time counselors were so busy with scheduling and academic counseling, they said, this would be a great experience for you. Why don't you run a grief group? So I did. And so that's when I start, started learning about how to help teenagers specifically navigate through grief. Now, of course, at the time, I was 
a newlywed. I did not have children. And I did not know what it was like to be on the end of chronic grief. But I was learning how to help other people journey in their grief, in their pain. But as Jeannie became a mother of not one, but two children with special needs, her understanding of grief expanded. My husband and I have two little girls. Felicity is four. Sarah is two and a half. And Felicity has an invisible diagnosis. She looks, quote, typical or normal, but she has sensory processing disorder, which is a neurological condition. It's pretty common. It's actually very common with people on the autism spectrum and also with ADHD. Those are highly correlated with SPD. And she also has generalized anxiety disorder and separation anxiety disorder. So before I ever was even pregnant with Sarah, I was dealing with occupational and physical therapy to help her overcome her tactile aversions. She doesn't like the way clothes feel. She doesn't like the way certain textures of foods or she didn't like to put her hands or feet on things. So she didn't walk until she was 18 months old. And that's when that diagnosis came to light for me. And my husband and I were like, we've never heard of this. What is it? So we did a lot of research and read a really great book called The Out of Sync Child. And there's also kind of a workbook that has activity ideas from an occupational therapist called The Out of Sync Child Has Fun. So that was before Sarah. And I think maybe God was trying to prepare me for Sarah because Sarah, on the other hand, she was born with a rare genetic condition called Apert syndrome, which affects the seventh chromosome. Jeannie and her husband had no reason to anticipate or expect Sarah's condition. I had three ultrasounds. They were all normal. My doctor thought my pregnancy was a little unusual because I had excessive amniotic fluid, which I now know is indicative of Apert syndrome because the children have a concave sinus cavity and they cannot swallow the amniotic fluid like a typical baby does. But I obviously I had no idea. So... Oh, we, my husband and I had no idea, nor did my doctor, until Sarah was born. And so that was the moment that I, it was a shock, this wave of shock. And so that's why the grief slammed me in the face, because I thought, oh my gosh, what's wrong? I could see her forehead and her mitten hands and her toes. She looked visibly like there was something really wrong. And that was the moment where my husband and I were like, oh, this isn't going to be the life we thought. So I think there is a difference too with parents that grieve when they maybe have some sort of preparation prenatally versus they don't. And also, you know, everyone's so different. Some people are more laid back than others. I'm not a laid back person. I feel things very intensely and very deeply. And so for me, grief is often kind of an interior battle where I really have to wrestle with some very hard questions, some of which don't have answers. So this whole process of me trying to find a place of peace in the everyday, in the present moment, has been rather, I guess, rather epic because I don't deal with things very easily. That's why I thought, well, maybe there are other people that need to know how to do this too. And that's what kind of made me feel like what we were going through could have a larger purpose than just 
our family? Like, how can we spread this message to other other people that maybe don't even have children with special needs, but they're in pain? And so that gave some sort of light and purpose to all of this uncertainty and mystery. You know, in those early days after my daughter was born, I was thrust into this crisis mode because we had to do all these diagnostic tests and I had to take her to a geneticist and all these x-rays and ultrasounds and CT scans and it was like a world I'd never been in in my life and so I didn't even have time of course being in that postpartum haze too I didn't really have time to process anything. Jeannie took the grief she experienced and the understanding she gained as she worked her way through it and decided there might be something more to it. I think that I've had these life experiences pertaining to loss for a reason. And so I actually uh, wrote a book that's going to be out in February of next year from Sophia Institute Press, and it's called From Grief to Grace. So I talk about what is grief And how is it different from depression? How is it similar? So I take kind of my clinical background and incorporate it into those first chapters. Then I talk about what are some things that have helped me, particularly spiritual principles, have helped me to get to a place of peace and acceptance and healing so that I'm not living in this state of resentment and unrest all the time. Because as you know, being a parent of a child with a rare disease, there's so much mystery. With your daughter, I'm guessing it's even rarer than what Sarah has. And so I know with Sarah, there are no statistics about mortality rates, life expectancy. We just have to live one day at a time. We don't know if something's going to happen tomorrow or a year from now. We have no idea. So I couldn't live that way. And I felt like writing a book to help people who are in that dark place would kind of, I don't know, be another resource for people in grief. Maybe you're wondering what grief could look like in a special needs parent or how it's different from depression. Here's how Jeannie described it. Grief is very common and very pervasive and prevalent among special needs families. We just don't always recognize it and we don't always talk about it. Because grief Grief is so unique to everyone. It manifests itself differently. It's really hard to say how every single person would experience grief. For many people that I know in the APERT community, there might be times where they post something on Facebook in the APERT group and they there's like an undertone of sadness or anger, especially when their kids are having surgeries to open their skull, which is a really big deal, of course. And it's really tough when you see your infant child have to go through that. And then that's when I see a lot of these questions like, why would a benevolent God allow this to happen? I'm really mad at God. To me, coming from the perspective of a grief recovery coach, I can read that in two ways. First, I can read it as, that's grief. I can define it that way. And secondly, I can see the personal pain of what that individual is experiencing because I was there too and sometimes I still am so I think grief comes in waves so there might be days or weeks that are hard they're just really hard to get through you feel very lonely you feel like you can't can't relate you might feel just an anger why can't I just have a normal life why do I have to go through these struggles why does my child have to go through these struggles and then 
then there might be a kind of a lull where you're like, you know what? I accept the reality of my life. This is the way it is. And then there might be something completely out of the blue that triggers it all over again. But those are some basic ways that I've noticed people in the special needs community have expressed grief. Part of what can complicate grief is the fact that it's so unpredictable. And on top of that, the lives of our children can be unpredictable. Behaviors, regressions, transitions, or medical issues can erupt, ebb, and flow erratically. The future can feel like a vast ocean of uncharted territory that we're forced to navigate alone. Here's a glimpse of what navigating APERT syndrome looks like. The seventh chromosome is just slightly mutated. It's not completely gone. It's not multiplied or anything. It's just there's a slight mutation. And what it does is it causes what they call syndromic craniosynostosis. And that is where one or more sets of the cranial plates are fused prematurely, as well as the fingers and the toes. Sometimes other bones in the body are fused as well, and we just don't know yet. We don't know if Sarah has other fusions like in her elbow, shoulder, but that's common. Sometimes in the ear, those are the defining traits. There are other things systemically that can go wrong in the body and often does. People with APERT commonly have hearing loss, vision problems. They have very unique dental development because their mouth is so small, their teeth often come in outrageously crooked. Sometimes they don't get all their teeth at all. They have to have dental surgery, oral maxillofacial surgery, etc. Those are very common things with APERT as well as heart murmurs and there's a whole gamut. Every system in your body can be affected. So I like to tell people APERT syndrome is kind of a spectrum in terms of this. So you have people that have a very mild case where they might they have very mild features, their face doesn't look that different. It looks different, but not not extremely severely different. And then maybe they have no cognitive impairment. There are lots of people I've met that have APERT that are my age that some of them are married with a family. Most of them have, you know, live independently. They have careers, they have college degrees. And then you've got the severe end of the spectrum, of course, where this person might be almost in a vegetative state. They might have a trach, they might have medical equipment, they're always in the hospital. And so on average, people with APERT have between 20 and 60 surgeries in their lifetime. Physical, occupational, speech therapy, audiology, ophthalmology. I have a a list of all her doctors because I just can't keep track of them all and remember them. Sarah's on the milder case. She doesn't show any signs of cognitive impairment, and she has had five surgeries so far. Her facial differences are milder at this point, but we know that she will have to have more craniofacial surgery as she gets older. My, her craniofacial surgeon told us that it's very likely she might have to have another two to five of those before she gets to an age, which is around the age of eight, where there's like the most dreaded surgery among APERT families, which is called the mid-face advancement. And that is when really it's a tricky surgery. It's very risky, but it's very necessary. They open up the face is what they do because the sinus cavity is naturally concave because of the way their skull was formed. And so the mid-face advancement opens up that part 
part of the face and there's a metal device called a halo that has to be attached to their head with interior distraction pins. They're like pins. And then on the outside, you have to turn the pins with a screwdriver to open up those facial bones. So there's just a high risk of infection and the surgery itself lasts several days and then the recovery time is usually about a month, sometimes more in the hospital. It's so funny because Sarah and Felicity are very different and their struggles are very different. So Felicity looks typical, but struggles immensely. She's very emotionally fragile, whereas Sarah has all these medical issues that are very obvious, and yet she is such a happy, laid-back, robust, tenacious little kid. I mean, she just takes everything in stride even on the days where she has to go in for surgery and she doesn't have she hasn't had anything to eat or drink for 12 14 hours she still acts like herself she goes up to everybody in the lobby and she says hi and she smiles and I'm just like man I would be cranky if I were in that situation parenting these children with their differences and disabilities clearly changes us in fact Jeannie has written an article for The Mighty about five ways she has changed after becoming a mom to kids with special needs. I'll post a link to the article in the show notes, but here are just a few of the things she mentioned. I feel I've become a better mom because I have kids that are different. So one of them is patience. I'm not a naturally patient person. I am kind of a... I'm always busy. I always want to stay busy. I'm go, go, go. That's just my nature. So with both of the girls, because they have extra things that they need help with, as well as the developmentally appropriate things for their ages, I've learned that I have to just slow down and help them more. So offer them more assistance. That's just a big, a a huge part of what, of the ways that I've grown. And then also simplicity is another thing because the girls appreciate things that I overlook, I think. And when I notice that, it's very humbling to me. And I think, wow, if I didn't have these beautiful little girls in my life, I would have completely missed this. And it's often just, you know, a comment in passing that they say in all innocence, and it's just natural for them to see and think of the world through this untainted, innocent lens. But because I've been jaded by life, of course, I haven't, I don't see those things the way they do. So there's just, I don't know, there's just a beauty of simplicity that they have, this innocence, this pure innocence that they have. And I know all children do, but I've noticed that children with special needs, there's just a different a depth of love, I would say, a different level of love and light. I don't know how to explain it, but so I almost, sometimes I almost feel so overwhelmed with humility. Like I think, why was I blessed to have these children? You know, why was I the one that is so privileged? And then of course there are other days where I'm like, oh, oh, I wish I could just, you know, get them out of my hair. Parenting a child or children with special needs can truly be a roller coaster. But as they say, hindsight is twenty twenty. To wrap up, I asked Jeannie what advice she might give herself if she could go back to the day her daughter was diagnosed and have a little chat with herself. Here's what she had to say. I think I would just say trust. Walk every day in the present moment. Appreciate 
all of the small, maybe hidden moments of joy that do exist even in the darkest day, that they're there, but you have to look for them sometimes harder than others. And I would also say to myself not to worry about petty things, not really to worry at all, just to make sure that I make my moments count, especially with my children and my husband, because that's really ultimately, those three people are, the, are ultimately the most important to me in my life. Jeannie Ewing is a writer, speaker, and grief recovery coach living in northern Indiana with her husband and their two daughters. You can find her on the web at lovealonecreates.com. Today's episode was recorded and produced by me, Sarah Evans. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend about it and don't forget to subscribe in iTunes. Your ratings and reviews are also greatly appreciated. For notes on today's show, including links to the articles and books Jeannie mentioned, visit our website, bringingupbetty.com slash seven. I'm also starting a series of mini episodes that will feature short stories about specific experiences you've had in your parenting journey. So please send me an email at bringingupbetty at gmail.com. Be sure to write if you've got a sweet, funny, or unusual story to share. I would love to hear from you. If you'd like to be the first to know when a new episode is released, join our mailing list. Visit bringingupbetty.com to sign up. If you're looking for more ways to support the show, visit our website and click support. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.